It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. 42 new coronavirus cases were reported from Friday to Sunday, and four more hospitalizations were reported. That's according to information on the city's COVID dashboard. 38 of the cases are Sitka residents. The patients range in age from several children under 10 to patients in their 80s. 10 of the new patients are 19 or younger. As of Sunday afternoon, the rolling case rate, or the average number of cases per day, had dipped from 20 to 18. While it's too early to say whether the current outbreak has plateaued, the steady increase in daily cases in July has leveled off for the moment. A good thing, since beds are filling up at the Mount Edgecombe Medical Center. Dr. Elliot Brule reported to the Sitka Unified Command on Wednesday. We were up to nine inpatients with COVID this last week consistent with trends up in Anchorage and everywhere else, you know, it's overall a younger group, you know, younger being not pediatrics, but, you know, people in their 30s, 40s that are in the hospital. Mount Edgecombe Medical Center has a capacity of 25 acute care beds. Brule said that only one patient has been medevaced so far on July 19th, and the individual subsequently died. The problem now is that the same spike occurring in Sitka is occurring throughout the state, and if patients need to be moved, they may be getting a trip south. We've been following several times a day what's the availability of um, transfer opportunities into Seattle uh, hospital locations because of the the shortage of ICU beds um, up in Anchorage. The number of active cases in Sitka dropped to 170 on Sunday. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 857 coronavirus cases, 36 hospitalizations, and two deaths. Sitka has its first mask mandate. At an emergency meeting on Thursday, the Sitka Assembly voted 6-0 to to require masks in public spaces, in an attempt to curb the largest outbreak of COVID-19 in the community since the beginning of the pandemic. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. In July of 2020, the Sitka Assembly considered a mask mandate. Though it was a resolution with no enforcement arm, it still didn't pass. But this time around, things were different. The more contagious Delta variant has reared its ugly head in Sitka, causing the community's worst outbreak of the pandemic so far. And the pressure was on the assembly to do something when it met for an emergency meeting on Thursday. The ordinance temporarily requires masking in indoor public settings. It expires on August 24th, or when the city's COVID alert level shifts from high down to moderate. Those who don't wear masks in areas where they're required may be fined $50. Dr. Robert Hunter was one of nine members of the public who called on the assembly to approve the ordinance. It's more than a common courtesy like wearing a shirt or shoes, which anybody would do in a restaurant or um, a grocery store. A mask really is as simple as putting on a shirt, but it's potentially preventing uh, life and death situations for people you're encountering. Search Chief Medical Officer Dr. Elliot Brule also called on the assembly to pass the ordinance, citing the high transmissibility of the Delta variant. This current variant spreads hundreds of times more easily than the wild-type virus we were dealing with last year. Masks have been scientifically and medically proven to reduce spread, 
In my opinion, as a physician, they should be required indoors in public spaces by all in this circumstance. It's consistent with CDC guidance. It's the medically correct thing to do at this time. Brule said search hospitals and medical centers are near capacity and also pushed the assembly to consider mandatory testing at Sitka's airport. A few members of the public argued that masks aren't effective and pose their own health risks. But most of the 11 Sitkins who spoke against the mandate were concerned with personal freedom. Mary Todd Anderson questioned how the city would enforce it and worried it would turn neighbor against neighbor. And the idea of policing this, enforcing it, where where are we going to go? What's next? Nabbing our neighbors? Oh, Mary Todd Anderson. Oh, she's at church. She didn't wear a mask. Nab her now. Get her name. Get her social security number, whatever. What are they going to do? Lock us away on Biorca? And Jaylene Owen said that the ordinance would cause further division. Are you prepared for the psychological damage long-term mask usage will have on our children because they will be deprived of critical social interactions? While this disease is real and not going away, we as a community do not need more restrictions and mandates that cause division. While more members of the public spoke against the ordinance at the meeting, several assembly members mentioned the large amount of emails they'd received about a mask mandate. Member Crystal Duncan outlined how those emails broke down. I had 66. Seven of those were opposed, which comes out to about 10 percent. 57 said you need to do something, so that's 86 percent. 53 of those said I strongly support a, ta- a temporary mask mandate. Temporary. Member Tor Christensen challenged the personal freedom argument. I hear a lot of, well, you're impeding on my freedoms. Well, you don't have a freedom to hurt other people. And I was thinking about this the other day, that if I took one of my guns, and I actually have a lot of them, and fired a clip into the air uh, when I was in, t- in town, the chances of one of those bullets hitting somebody on the way back down would be very low. But I would get arrested. And member Kevin Mosher, who voted against the mask mandate last year, said his perspective had changed. You know, I've always fought against, or in my mind, against mandating anything because it's a big deal. It's heavy. Um, But, you know, it is a mask. It's to protect our, I mean, everyone, but our children and who cannot protect themselves. And we're not a good community if we're not doing that. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis and Assembly members Rebecca Hemshute and Kevin Mosher all expressed reservations around the enforcement section of the ordinance. Eisenbeis said he'd be happy to remove the fines, and Mosher was concerned about how police would enforce it. City Attorney Brian Hansen said, like with other minor offenses, like using a cell phone while driving or not putting out garbage before 5 a.m. to avoid bear problems, it would be up to the police chief to determine how and what resources to put toward enforcing the mask mandate. No motions were made to alter the enforcement language in the ordinance. Ultimately, the assembly voted six to zero in favor of the mask mandate. The emergency ordinance goes into effect immediately. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. While the temporary mask mandate passed muster, two other emergency COVID ordinances failed at the table. A measure to provide lodging for non-residents who test positive for COVID failed 3-3, to with members Knox, Duncan, and Mayor Eisenbeis opposed. A measure to give $1,000 grants to Sitkins who test positive and are forced to quarantine for 10 days also failed 3-3, to with members Duncan, Mosier, and Mayor Eisenbeis opposed. 
18 million postage stamps featuring an Alaska Native raven design were released to the public on Friday. A ceremony in Juneau celebrated the first stamp ever designed by a Clinkett artist. KTOO's Jennifer Pemberton reports on the importance of the design and its story. There's not even a Clinkett word for postage stamp. is an envelope, which is the paper around the paper. Rene Lance Twitchell is an author, artist, and teacher. He served as the MC for the ceremony. So then I thought maybe a stamp could be <laughs> So uh, paper around the paper, sticky paper. It's called the Raven Story Stamp designed by Rico Lanat Whirl. Whirl is the owner of the Trickster Company, which is known for selling everything from skateboard decks to leggings with Clinkett Formline designs. It was one of his items at the gift shop at the National Museum of the American Indian in D.C. that caught the eye of an art director at the U.S. Postal Service. And he said he was really drawn to the, to the kind of the feel of traditional kind of design work, but in a, in a modern context. And so that's where it all started. That's Whirl speaking Friday on Juno Afternoon. The Postal Service gets tens of thousands of art submissions for stamps every year, and only 30 to 40 of them will end up in mailboxes across the country. This is a huge feat for Whirl as an artist. But for the Clinkett people, it's bigger than that. He has a goal to tell the story of indigenous people today. Marlene Johnson is the chair of the board at Sea Alaska Heritage Institute, which sponsored the ceremony with the Postal Service. The story that we are all still here. We have been here for at least 10,000 years, and we will be here for 10,000 more. That brings a whole new meaning to the term forever, which is featured next to the letters USA right on the stamp. Native Northwest Coast art is well known for telling stories through large forms like totem poles and clan houses. But Rico had to tell all of our origin story on the smallest canvas imaginable, a canvas that was less than an inch on the longest side. The stamp has a form line drawing of a raven with a gold ball in its mouth, surrounded by stars. It's mostly black and white with flecks of gold that sparkle in the light. It's a depiction of the dramatic conclusion of the story of how Raven gave light to the world by stealing it from a box. In the stamp, he's in a mess of stars with the sun in his mouth on his escape through a smoke hole in a longhouse. And that smoke started pouring out all around it and turned this white, translucent, almost invisible bird into the black, beautiful bird it is today. While the illustration speaks for itself, author and playwright Frank Henry Kashkatas told the story of Raven in the Box of Daylight at the ceremony. And of course, the ravens themselves had to have their say too. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jennifer Pemberton. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.